Hey everybody, it's Tony Giuliano, your host of the No Code Podcast. My guest for season one, episode seven was Lauren Swartz, the CEO and president of the World Affairs Council of Philadelphia. Lauren and I spoke on November 6th as it became clear that we would have a new leader in the White House as of January, 2021. As fate would have it, the city of Philadelphia, the birthplace of American democracy was the tipping point. We discuss what this means, not in the context of political preference or affiliation, but in participation in our democracy. We talked about how business and social causes can intersect to lift up the lives of everyone in our region. Of course, we talked extensively about Lauren's career, her willingness to take a risk and change jobs during COVID, and our mutual love for the Leadership Philadelphia program. Sit back and enjoy episode seven of the No Code Podcast with the amazing and talented Lawrence Wartz. I want to introduce everyone to Lawrence Swartz, the Chief Executive Officer and President at the World Affairs Council of Philadelphia. Uh, Lauren is uh, coming to us today live from the city of Philadelphia, which is now the uh, international hub of democracy, democracy for all of the world, um, mm-hmm. as today is November 6th, 2020. And we are, I guess, in is this day four of the election count? Yes, we are in day four of the never ending <laughs> election day, just like we're still in day 800 of March 2020. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. That's that's exactly where we're stuck. We're stuck in this Groundhog Day. And why would the 2020 presidential election not be Groundhog Day? Yes, maybe it is all happening in one day. Why would it be any right? different? And we just can't tell anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But, um, you know, for those listening, which is, this will probably go out sometime middle of next week. Uh, today, obviously, was the uh, what seems to be the turning point of the election uh, going in Joe Biden's favor. And based on the timing of where everything was counted and, and all the state results coming on, it seems that Philadelphia is the uh, essentially the tipping point. So, you know, this is not about who you were, who you were rooting for or voted for or whatever, but just the fact that it has come together like that for our area is, is just kind of crazy. It's it's co- it's crazy and it's a bit poetic, right? If you think about the foundations of Western democracy and what kind of street parties were they having hundreds of years ago? Right now, outside of the convention center, there's certainly a party. It looks a little bit different, but it's not that geographically far away, maybe 10 blocks away from where the Declaration of Independence was written and democracy was formed as we know it today. I mean... It- and that is just really unbelievable when you think about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was thinking about it a lot this morning that, I mean, this is the, in many ways, the birthplace of America. And now you have this, you know, monumental election in this uh, bizarre and and divided and stressful nation and world we live in today. And this basically got decided here if, if it holds that way. Mm-hmm. And uh to see what was going on in the streets. I know you, you mentioned to me before you took a walk down there yes. earlier today. Yes, I was just to see there it for yourself. Mm-hmm, about an hour ago. Wow. Wow. That, that must have been something to see. It was great. It was um, democracy in action in a way, or, or the right to convene and to speak and to, and to protest. There's a, certainly a group of uh, Trump supporters out there with flags and signs and banners. And then just 10 feet away, there's a group of Biden-Harris supporters 
who are, are basically throwing a street party. It's very uh, celebratory. <laughs> uh, I guess they're optimistic right. about the counting that's going inside and in, uh, inside of the convention center. There's a DJ and dancing and, and a lot of people holding up count the vote signs. And, and but everybody's peaceful. Nobody's well, fighting. There's no yelling. There's no right. throwing of objects or, or weapons. It's, it's actually pretty lovely to see regardless of which side you're on. Exactly. And, and that's what I've been taking out of this so far. Knock on wood, I really hope it stays that mm-hmm. way in terms of the peacefulness. We went into this election and I think everybody was worried about voter intimidation and, you know, what could happen at the polls and on either side in terms of just the fervor of the two parties. And, and you know, some of these fringe groups that I don't think really represent anything that 99% of us Americans believe in, um, potentially really stirring things up on election day. And for the most part, that did not happen. And the turnout is record turnout by far. I don't know what the final numbers will be in terms of percentage turnout, but certainly with the number of votes, it's, it's incredible. And to me, like, that's what I take away as a positive that, you know, America made its voice heard. People didn't hold back and and people got out there and, and made sure that their vote was counted. Right. At, at the World Affairs Council, our founding motto is that in a democracy, agreement is not essential, but participation is. You have to go vote. And right. and right now, if you've got a lot of nervous energy, you can go outside and hold up a sign or dance or wave your flag. And, and that's what's essential. You have to engage regardless of what you think. Who's right and wrong is always debatable. But lack of participation is right. something that we know will cause our society to fail. Exactly. Exactly. And if we can use this as a way to say it once it's over behind us, officially declared, whatever it may be, to come together and say, okay, look, it's clear we all have a lot of passion. We don't all think the same way, but let's find a way to work together. Let's find some common ground and and let's understand that the majority of our interactions, at least I feel this way, are largely positive with all walks of life. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I... there's a handful of things we may have been through in our lives that have been, um, you know, very confrontational or arguments about politics or whatever it may be. And some people certainly see worse and uh, whether it's violence or, or whatever, but 99.9% of the time we get along with people and, and we just all want to be healthy and happy and safe and, and have a path to prosperity. And, and, and you have to, it's hard to be angry at somebody up close and, if you have when yeah. you have actual interactions with people, which is tremendously hard to do right now outside of the pandemic, just with the way social media has allowed us to communicate uh, and level threats and theories against people we we might never meet. But it's hard to be angry up close. It's hard to ha- have no empathy up close. And so when we engage, you start to see the perspectives from the other side, and that right we have more in common than we have. To disagree about and there will always be disagreements but we'll get to a better outcome if we listen to each other and agree on a path forward right it's fundamentally a compromise in the type of society and government that we have here and a good compromise makes both people a little unhappy and both people both sides a little happy and hopefully that's the direction we're, yeah. we're moving towards yeah. right now it seems like everyone's unhappy so <laughs> can we move the needle on that <laughs> I think we all just want a result. I know for me, I've been watching this stuff ad nauseum and I got to stop. I mean, today was a little better because I had a lot going on earlier, a lot of calls kind of back to back. I wasn't tuning in that much, but uh, 
yeah, I think we'd all love a result. We'd all actually, uh, at the same time, of course, love to be through COVID. And, and unfortunately, that hasn't really slowed down at all. If anything, it's, it's um, you know, kind of been magnified. So we all just want that path forward where we get back to normalcy in some way, shape or form. So hopefully, maybe, maybe this is the beginning. I don't okay. know. We'll see. Yep. So you're the CEO and president of the World Affairs Council of Philadelphia. Everything we just talked about, I have to imagine that plays a part in, in what you do for this organization. So if you could, you know, if you could just describe, first of all, the organization itself and, and what your role is, I think that would be great for the listeners. Sure. The World Affairs Council of Philadelphia has been around for 71 years here in the city. It is the region's provider of public discourse on world affairs, foreign affairs, and connecting Philly to the world and connecting the world to Philadelphia. We provide adult access to an, an adult speaker series. That sounds, every time I say that, that sounds uh, more scandalous than I mean. I'm new, so I have to come <laughs> up with a better way than an adult speaker series. Right. We have a series of speakers yeah. that come through the city, ranging from Joe Biden and President Bush to Ariana Huffington. We even had Steve Bannon and Tamara Burke and Jim Acosta, these really prominent leaders who helped shape the world. And we bring them in in some more right. intimate conversations in Philadelphia, now virtually, but typically in person. And we have a civil, civic, nonpartisan dialogue with them so we can understand what their positions are or create a panel discussion about, uh, about things that are affecting the world and how Philadelphia fits into that. And we also have a youth right. education program where the, re the region's provider of foreign affairs and world affairs education to middle schools and high schools across four states. As we know with curriculum and schools the way they are for various reasons, this type of curriculum just doesn't exist within school systems anymore. So the World Affairs Council provides things like Junior Model United Nations and Junior Model Senate or Junior European Union programs for students to understand issues and debate. We also provide a certificate program for students in high school who can earn an international studies or, or global scholar certificate before they graduate from high school. So for dorks like me that didn't want to play sports or, or do the arts of music, um, but really like this stuff, you can double down on that as your extracurricular and get an, um, a certified um, uh, sort of certificate from the state that we provide in partnership. And we, uh, we go into schools, we help form model UN clubs and world affairs clubs and bring in speakers to them and create curriculum so that they can have access to what's going on around the world and learn how to tackle these subjects. And then we have a travel program, which is on a bit of a hiatus right now, but usually we offer about yeah. 30 trips a year to destinations around the world that are educational. So they're to really wonderful or, or interesting destinations, but you get to go behind the scenes. And if you're in the Galapagos Islands, you might be with a biologist, or if you're going to the pyramids, you might have a docent or an anthropologist with you to help explain what you're seeing and get some interesting perspective that you might not normally be able to access if you just went on a trip by yourself. Right, right. And mm -hmm. It sounds uh, incredible thing to offer, especially with the younger people. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I think the standard education that you might get, uh, you know, whether you're in a public or private school, um, probably would not include something like this, where you get a really, you know, kind of uh, the current affairs internationally and learning about other cultures and parts of the world 
versus, you know, a, a history book where you're just, you know, learning about what has happened already. And, and not that right. that's not important. It's totally relevant, I'm sure, in your guys' organization too. But um, to really see the world is a pretty incredible offer. Right. And when you think about the future of, of business and the economy and the way things are going, 95% of the world's population lives outside of the United States. And 85% wow. of global economic growth is outside of the United States. I could keep going, right. but I won't. But those two right. facts right. alone tell us that whether it's from a civic perspective or what you want your own society and country to look like, from a military and war and security perspective, from cybersecurity to just being a business person and where your customers and clients are and where your products come from and where your vaccines right. and your PPE might come from. The world really matters, but that is not being taught in school anymore. Right. And you, you can see that play out in our discourse within society, even within the election. This is a nonpartisan statement, but we just don't talk about foreign affairs, but if a country wants to go to war with us, it'll be a pretty big deal. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And I think uh, even economically, you know, it's, it's a debate I've had with some people over the years, um, especially in the last few years where this growing nationalist isolationist um, approach has kind of crept in to the conversation. Um, you know, versus somebody on the other side, you know, thinking that we need to have a strong global economy, we can't possibly operate without one. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that conversation, it's interesting that that has really bubbled up in the last few years. And, and I think what COVID has probably shown a light on is that that conversation should continue. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think we can be, we can't be isolationists. That's just, that's just not going to work in, in, uh, military affairs or culture or economics. It just doesn't, it, it can't happen. Mm -hmm. But, you know, seeing what happened with COVID and understanding that, oh, wow, we were really relying on a lot of other countries and maybe one country in particular um, for our supply chain. And we got to take a look at things like that. Right. You know, we need to, we need the balance. It is a balance of trade and a balance of, of uh, commerce and agreements across the world to say, okay, we have, yeah, of course, we have to look out for the interests of the United States if we're, if we're leaders and citizens of this country. But we also have to have the big picture in mind when we're making these deals and decisions and, and really understanding how it impacts the overall economy. Right. And, and I, I've, I am, of course, an internationalist and a multilateralist, uh, to use some jargon, from the, the career I've had and the work that I do. That goes without saying I wear it on my sleeve. But I think it's also really critical to remember that the United States is operating from a position of strength and we have for a long time. And if, if we play our cards right, we should for a long time. We still are hanging on to the title of having the largest economy in the world. We're certainly not the largest right. by population. Some would say we're the most influential country in the world, that our president is the leader of the free world, largest military, et cetera. And so it, it confuses me that when we have all of this strength, and frankly, superiority uh, that we would shy away from engaging. And we do a lot of work with right. high school students. So I think if I think of it in high school terms, it's kind of like being the most popular, best looking, strongest and richest kid and like not wanting mm -hmm. to hang out with anybody and not wanting to, right. to negotiate. <laughs> like you can get a lot out of that. So when we shy away from yeah. things like free trade agreements or negotiating or being in 
multilateral groups like the World Health Organization, the World Trade Organization, Paris Climate Accord, Trans-Pacific Partnership, I could go on. You know, we have the ability to sit down at that table and we would sit at the head of the table and we would be hugely influential as a country if we choose to engage in these multilateral institutions. And if we pull out, we are losing our seat at the table and our influence. And it's a philosophical thing of whether folks think, think it's better to go it alone or to go with friends and lead the pack and be and be the popular kid when that's got all the resource, right. money, and talent. Uh, and so I, I would advocate for engagement, as, as you can hear. I think it's smart. And I think that we have so much to offer and so much to gain. And that this has generally not been a losing proposition for the U.S. in the past. There, there are winners and losers yeah. when you engage, but there are winners and losers if we don't engage as well. Sure, absolutely. And, and of course, you know, of course we want to produce products here in the United States and, and we want to be self-sufficient to a certain degree, but it doesn't mean we can completely isolate and, and not rely on any other country for imports or, or exporting our products over there. That's another problem you run into. If you try to cut off from the rest of the world, how are we going to you know, produce products here and sell elsewhere if we don't want to engage. You know, mm-hmm. that that's to me that there's no equation that adds up in that realm. You know, it, it just doesn't make sense. Right. You're you're in a company that sells a lot of things to a lot of people. If you yes, knock on the door do. and the only the only thing you ever want to do is say, Hey, will you buy my stuff? That's not gonna work. Yeah. If you say, Hey, can I help you with that yeah. bully on the playground? You wanna to come to my state dinner? We should hang out later. Let's go on the summit. Uh, let's work on cybersecurity together. And then you also say, hey, you want to buy my stuff? We're probably going to get a lot farther. Exactly. I, I agree with that completely. Um, so you you uh, came to the World Affairs uh, group in September. So you're only there a couple months at this point. Um, yeah. What was that like in terms of, you know, changing jobs during COVID, especially at the level you're at where, you know, it's tough for anybody at this time, but this must have been a major move for you. And and can you talk about what went into that and and how it came to be? Mm -hmm. Yes, plenty of people uh, called me and said, you're crazy. Why are you changing jobs in the middle of the pandemic (laughs) or in what perhaps seems now like the beginning of the pandemic? Uh, I hope not, but we just don't know where this thing is going. Um, Sure. You know, I I saw the opportunity had presented itself to consider joining the World Affairs Council as their leader, and I approached it cautiously, as did they. And so it was a long conversation over a period of months. And over time, as I saw the world changing and our city changing, and of course, my heart, as I've just explained, is in international engagement and how it can affect and help our society at home, it became more and more appealing to me. I think that our platforms of creating civil nonpartisan dialogue on the issues affecting Philadelphia and the world today is ever more critical. The need to educate people on these things is ever more critical and to engage with the world. And so when I looked at the opportunity to make the move, of course I did my homework and and researched everything and and pulled out the financials that I could and things like things like like that, that one does. Um, In the end, I, I thought it was, the right time to take an opportunity like this and and run with it. When change is all around us, I tend to change as well. I'm not one to to hunker down and say, oof, seas are rough, I'm gonna go inside and lock the door. 
I'm one to say, right. all right, everything's changing. Where is their opportunity and where is their risk? And how can we move through that? So I did that personally by changing jobs. And this organization, it's a small nonprofit, of course, has to do that as well. And there's something right. to be said for coming into an organization that has an appetite for change, but a really strong, right. it's really strong bones, if I think of it like a house. So I was excited, excited to jump in. It's been around for 70 years. It's as stable as you can be in the environment in which we're operating and the topics and, and tactics are very close to my heart. So I was happy to jump right in and see what happens next. Yeah, that's, uh, that's certainly brave of you. But I also think, uh, and I've talked about this with uh, with my last podcast guest, Sean Hand. Um, you know, we both agreed that uh, the people that are going to win in 2021 are the ones that got out of their comfort zone in 2020. Mm -hmm the ones that challenge themselves to be creative and to be bold and to find new passions and, and things like that. It's part of the reason I'm doing this, the podcasting thing. This is nothing I have much experience in from, from any kind of past life aside from a silly little college radio show um, at Villanova with two of my nice. buddies that about eight people listen to. But you can um, that as nine. You know, I'll go to, find it tonight. Then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think you could find yeah. it. Well, I'll tell you what, we can send you the cassette tapes if you, and then you can try to find a, a something to play those because it doesn't really exist in the world anymore. So challenge accepted. Um, yeah. <laughs> but um, no, to step out of your comfort zone and to take a risk, um, you know, it, obviously as long as it's a calculated risk and you've thought it through, I mean, I think, I think that's not necessarily a bad thing to do mm -hmm. in, in this kind of environment when, you know, you might have the opportunity to step back and sort of, reevaluate and look at what you're doing, look at your passions, kind of analyze your value set and then, and then make a move. I think that's, uh, you know, it could be a very good thing that pays off big time in the end. Yeah. It's, it's good to get really, really clear about what you want and what you need or in what the in yeah. time, moment, what the company wants and what it needs. And we we're in the middle of a crisis. And so or many crises, as I think is the case. Yeah. And I personally and professionally, I'm able to get really, really clear. And I'm able to also come into this new organization and ask every single question and challenge things and right. throw out new ideas in a way that you can only do in the beginning of a new job, right? You can't mm -hmm. say 10 years later, like, well, yeah. I guess everything I was doing was wrong. <laughs> right, right, mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, you've, you know, speaking of values and speaking about you know, past experiences, you've, you've spent time in both the, you know, call it the, the nonprofit government economic policy world. And you've also spent some time in the private mm -hmm. sector. Um, what has been your experience there in terms of what you gravitated more towards or what you liked more about one group or the other and how that how that evolved over time. Well, I'm the daughter of, of entrepreneurs and corporate salespeople. So my, my ethos okay. is we grew up at the dinner talking about sales quotas and margins. And, you know, remember riding in the back of my mom's Toyota Corolla and she had a car phone, which was super cool and sounds very, very <laughs> yeah. ridiculous to all the young people yep. out there today. You know, it was like hardwired in and her and listening to her on sales so calls, funny. trying to close a deal and make commission. So that's very comfortable to me. And I, I like it. The thing I think about the private sector is that it, it's this is an oversimplification. 
but it's pretty clear. The point of the company is to make money. Now, there are other things that the company should be doing. Right. And more and more, we see a lot of corporate social responsibility, which I think is great and necessary and does drive bottom line growth. But it's very linear in a way. You have a guiding path, which is to grow revenue. And when you're in a nonprofit, it, that gets a little money. You're growing, you, you're growing a mission. You're trying to achieve a goal. And the money, the money is just a tool to get you right. there. So the script flips, but you still need money. You still have to run a nonprofit like a business and worry about talents and paying your rent and, and selling things, even if it's just selling an idea. But it's a more convoluted, circuitous process, a bit like a crazy straw to get from the bottom to the top. And in, in government, right. I, it's, it's, I would put it further on the continuum than the nonprofit because it's not a business, right? You don't have to sell anything to anyone once you're elected and administration is in place. You just receive revenue. Ideally, people don't get make the choice of not to pay taxes. That's another story, right? The revenue comes in and right. you have to make decisions yeah. about how to improve society with those dollars. So that crazy straw gets a lot longer and crazier and more convoluted. Sure. And you have a mission sure. like you do from a nonprofit. I want to make a better, healthier, cleaner, safer city, what have you. But you also have all these operational deliverables like a private company. I have to collect the trash. We need to fill these potholes. We need to build a new school that are more like a business. But the models that you might use from revenue generation to resources within a virtuous cycle for any given part of government are not clear. So when I was in government, that I right. the way that I would drive revenue growth or meet my quotas, if I could put it in those terms, never meant that my little unit got more resources. When you're good at something in government, you just get more okay. work. And the tax revenue that the work that you do or the savings that you generate, how it goes into the city budget is such a long and winding road because it's so big and complex that you don't earn <laughs> rewards and resources in the ways that you might normally. So incentivizing staff and really being clear about your mission and how you measure success uh, is all there. It's just a much more complex environment than a private sector or a nonprofit is, in, in my experience. Yeah, you know, it, it is super interesting. The the common themes and also the dramatic differences between the nonprofit world and the for-profit world. And I was just talking to somebody earlier today about this, uh, a friend of mine um, that is a, uh, he supports the National Asian American Association mm -hmm. for Professionals, mm -hmm. a guy named Min Park. Um, and we're teaming with, uh, JLL is teaming with yeah. his company, Wuxi on um, raising money for the uh, a Phil Abundance Drive that we're doing right. on December 12th right. uh, down at the Navy Yard. And and he and I, you know, we're talking about NAP a little bit and we were also talking about our nonprofit boards that each of us are on. And we said that exact same thing that you said is, is you know, yes, obviously there's a mission behind these nonprofits and something good for the social order that needs to be accomplished. You know, how you get there and how you keep the company moving forward and generating revenue, but maybe not for the sake of adding to a bottom line, but for the sake of, you know, provide giving the people experiences that you're that you're serving. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, so a lot of the same applies, although it is a very different path mm-hmm. into getting there. And especially with the, you know, the nonprofit world's probably more about cash in the sense of like, you, you have to keep the operation going, not solving to a margin or, or a, you know, a profit percentage that a for-profit company is, but, but in keeping the, the, the machine going, so it doesn't have to shut down, you know, and that's, that's what I've come upon in a couple of the nonprofits that I've helped out is uh, I try to bring that mentality of the for-profit mm-hmm. world, you know, without losing sight of the mission, but just saying, okay, guys, like maybe you're focusing on what, what you guys should be doing, but I'm more of a numbers guy and, and, and I can lend my, my talents in this. Area. Right. You let the staff deliver their programs, make sure the mission is aligned and we don't have too much scope creep, which is something that happens certainly in nonprofits, but across all the three sectors we've discussed. And then in my case as the CEO and president is to find the money, be a good steward of our resources in the short, medium and long term, and make sure that we have the talent to deliver the programs and services that we have promised that we would. And we promise those to society at large with our mission, what do we do for Philadelphia and the region? And then of course you promise those to your funders as well. And that's, that's, if I can keep all those trains running on time, I have a fabulous staff and they know how to do the development and delivery and execution on the things that make our mission come to life. Yeah, that's, that's, that's fantastic. How how much of a staff do you have there? How how many people kind of roll up to you directly? 10 people. 10 people. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. And, and by the way, real quick, just jumping back to something you said earlier on the car phone thing. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad had that, that brick that was like yes. a suitcase that you carry around. It was you. a precursor <laughs> to them, to the metrosexual bag, right? You could carry a purse and then you were <laughs> yeah. a man if it had a big phone in it with that huge antenna. Exactly. Exactly. And he, uh, he would take that out to the soccer field um, at my games when I was like five or six. So that's like 87, yeah. 88. And um you know, he's in the casino business. So he'd be, uh, at that, that, at that point, I think he was in player development. So he's talking to his, his, uh, management on site about, you know, what gambler just lost half a million dollars and should they give him a free dinner that night or, or not. And <laughs> it was pretty funny to watch, but then he had the, the, the car, the speakers in the car too, for the car phone, which, you know, is today's version of Bluetooth back then was literally a couple microphones that were like hooked up yeah. to your, uh near your uh your windshield it was it was kind of totally. crazy yeah and you still had to dial in all the numbers right there was no uh, like phone book or address book. Oh, so yeah. you had to know yeah. everybody's phone numbers and be able to dial them while you were driving which of course we would never do today yeah no it's unsafe back then it was just whatever you did you know you're lucky if people were wearing seatbelts yeah you know but uh <laughs> but no that that um but it's funny that that you said that because i think when you're super young and, and your mind is a sponge, like you look at that and I'd sit there and watch him and be like, Oh my gosh, that's the coolest thing in the world. Mm-hmm. You know? And I, I don't know if that eventually inspired me to get into to business, but certainly in, in, with younger folks and, and like your organization works with, I, I mean, it's great to show them good examples of, of what life can be, what the world is like and, and you know, what kind of success you can have in your career. It's just the, it's something that's kind of always yeah it goes both ways when you talk about work with your kids sometimes they would be really curious and and they would also agree with me that something was really important especially when I worked for the city if I ever really needed to get my kids to do something I would say I have a meeting with the mayor 
or the mayor is on the phone. Whether he was or wasn't, that would get Uh-oh. them to say, like, put on their shoes <laughs> quietly and brush their teeth before we could go yeah. to school in the morning or what have you. But then other times, really big things would be, would be happening. It's, you know, I've got a CEO of a company coming in from Austria that's thinking about investing in Philadelphia. And they told me it was the stupidest thing in the world. And <laughs> they wanted to do more Legos. <laughs> so they, you know, hopefully observed oh things gosh. for me. But then I also learned from them, right? Not Not that we kept playing Legos and I blew off the meeting with the CEO, but they're also a reminder that sometimes you got to put the phone down and, and, and go play soccer with your kid. And sometimes your kid needs to oh, for sure. play soccer so you can get some work done. And I, that definitely carries forward in, in how I view my career and this, the horrible phrase of work-life balance, the unattainable goal. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I got to tell you, it, it is, especially in these days. I mean, Back in, in when we were growing up, I think it was probably a little more manageable, depending on what you did. Um, you know, certainly if you had a nine to five, that was more of a production oriented thing. It could be really yeah. tough. I mean, my mom and dad, they made almost every game I think I ever played in, whether soccer, baseball, basketball, whatever it was, at wow. least one of them, I think, was there almost all the time. Probably a handful of times when, for one reason or another, they couldn't make it. But And even if my dad was on that mm-hmm. brick phone, you know, in, in a baseball game in between my bats when it was time for me to hit he hung it up with whoever he was on the phone yeah, and you'll always remember that <laughs> and that's mm-hmm. that's for sure oh for absolutely yeah. without a doubt um but that's you know that's the important stuff of life really you know yeah uh and i think that's come into perspective now more than ever mm-hmm. oh amen so you you and i also have uh something in common with uh having both gone through the leadership philadelphia mm-hmm. program um, so I wanted to talk about that a little bit too. And, and are, are you on the board for that yes. now? Is that correct? Okay. So you're, you're on the board, you're involved and, uh, you know, I, I'm sure they're having a challenging year. I know with JLL, we usually put through one or two people a year in that program. And I believe we have Michelle flowers in it this year, our vice president of the project mm-hmm. management group. Um, and I went through it in 2018, but when we talk about nonprofit related things, um, you know, that's how I got inspired to join a board because going into that, I, I didn't have, I, I didn't have that, you know, I didn't, uh, I wasn't a part of a nonprofit board. I didn't even understand the landscape of that in the city of Philadelphia very well, but certainly was, was more than enlightened by that program and, and Liz Dow and, and the rest of the crew there. They're just Great. incredible. People. That's the plan. Yeah. <laughs> That is the main goal is to come out of that with uh, nonprofit yeah, the, involvement. Yeah, the, the silent but powerful influence of the leadership develop, leadership Philadelphia diaspora and alumni network is really powerful in the city. And I don't mean, in some cases it's power, like CEOs and elected officials, but in more often, more often it's people joining boards and finally picking up the phone and saying, hey, I really care about your cause. It's tremendous in ways that are large and, and small and making more connectivity between the private sector and the public sector and the nonprofit sector is what will make a stronger Philadelphia and a stronger region. And Leadership Philadelphia, well, it certainly has a lot of corporate sponsors and people from private companies that also make space every year for teachers and for religious leaders and firefighters and police officers and nonprofit leaders as well. So you get to sit in this room that's diverse in as many ways as you can imagine 
and hear from people and learn about yourself at the same time. Many people describe Leadership Philadelphia as this transformational experience personally and professionally. And they never really know what it is until they get inside of it. They think, well, I got picked to go to this thing. I guess I'll check it out. But most people really love it. And they, it changes the trajectory of their careers and their civic engagement for the rest of their lives. Oh, for sure. And, and I would count as one of those people that went into it not really understanding what it was going to be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, within the first half hour of the first session, you're like, wow, this is going to be something really spectacular. Yeah. And then as it went on, you just learn more and more about the city and the region itself, not just center city, not just, you know, the, the city proper, but the, the entire region really. And then to see the, the variety of companies and people that are part of the program, I think that's really the strength of it too. Mm -hmm. And you have different perspectives. You have nonprofit, you have really huge businesses like a JLL, like a Pico, like a Comcast. And then you have, you know, some small and and medium-sized businesses too that are represented. And you really do learn so much about the city and the area and how it all weaves together between politics and economics and business. It's just, uh, I can't believe they do the job that they do. It's it's like, I don't know how they got it so right. You Mm -hmm. know, it's it's just mind blowing. There's a little, little magic pixie dust over at Leadership Philadelphia. The staff is great and they found the right formula for our region and it's, it's a gem. Yep. Yep. And I highly uh, recommend anyone listening to this that's ever debated uh, being a part of it or your company sponsoring a couple applicants and it is an application process. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's not, it's not guaranteed that, that you get in, you have to go in and interview and, and, you know, show that you're going to be invested in the process and that you're the right and that you can really benefit from it um you know but if anyone's on the fence about whether to do it definitely do it because you you cannot go wrong um yeah really great people really great organization and i got to ride in the police car oh yes that is a crazy experience and how about this so i get in and i'm in one of the south philly precincts i have a female cop who's i i I think she was like a 10 or 15 year veteran. Um, first, we stop at Dunkin Donuts. And that was very kind of stereotypical <laughs> that we would do that. She probably never goes what. to Dunkin Donuts and did it just <laughs> to fulfill your everyday expectations. Exactly. And she got a coffee. I mean, she didn't go get, you know, a dozen donuts. She just got her coffee. You got to start your shift with your coffee. And, yeah. you know, Dunkin Donuts, you can't go wrong there. Right. So, um, so we get in and, you know, I'm wearing my bulletproof vest and, we're riding around the city and immediately we get a call about a fire on Oregon Avenue mm. and it's like a big fire. And she was first on the scene as wow. law enforcement to kind of secure the area. And, you know, Oregon Avenue is a wide street. Yeah. It's, was it two lanes each way? Mm-hmm, at least. Um, so she had to block the one direction as best she could with her car and then go put up some tape and then literally like sprint to where the fire was. And then she she left me with instructions to sound the horn uh, slash the like uh, siren thing if anybody tried to go around me. And <laughs> so I, I had responsibilities right off the bat. I mean, I was a real police officer there. I was deputized for for a solid. Uh, we were there like an hour wow. and I had to use that thing like 30 times. Everyone tried to go around me. Right. 
<laughs> I mean, it's Philly, you know, it's South Philly. Like they don't care. They don't, they see police tape up and the car. They're just going to go. Like, oh, it's probably know? a block party. All good. Don't mind the smoke. It's yeah. just a barbecue. <laughs> I hope I just didn't get the police force in trouble. Cause I probably wasn't totally allowed to do that, but well, you know, she, she shall remain I, I, unnamed. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right. The leaders of Philadelphia, when you're in a class in the past, they've always offered the opportunity to do a police ride along, which actually any citizen has been able to do. I don't know if the rules have changed in the past few years, but I know recently that was the case. And so you can sign up in any precinct and go right along. Of course, there's some waivers involved and you are just with them. You are in it. And it is an eye opening experience. And then through leadership oh Philadelphia, gosh, a lucky yeah. few can um, can put their names in a lottery to go on a police ride along, but instead of the cars and the helicopters that they have, which is a really life changing experience. Yeah, man, I, I wish I was not such a wuss because I didn't put my <laughs> name in for that. Neither, neither did I, Tony. <laughs> yeah, I, I should have. I, I, I don't know if I would have got it, but yeah. I, uh, the helicopter, I've never been on a helicopter and I'm like, uh, I just, I don't know, but, uh, I, I kind of wish I would have done that one, but, but to do the ride along was a pretty crazy experience. And, you know, honestly, my, my favorite part of the ride along, which I thought was really cool was, and just shows the community element of policing is, you know, towards the very end, um, after the fire had gone past and we got off that scene, um, you know, the, the police officer is riding down the street and, and she's waving to people and people are saying hello. And like, she knows Mm -hmm. a lot of these people that are just out on the street. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that's amazing. That's, that's great. Like, that's what you want to see when we talk about a lot of what's wrong with police in this country. You know, you hear about this kind of thing, not happening, right? Like community policing, not happening Mm -hmm. with this particular officer. Absolutely happening. That's great. And one young man flagged her down and said, Hey, you know, came up to the car and said, um, my bike was stolen recently. I filed a report and it's here. Like he ran into his bike that somebody had stolen that they chained up outside and they went into business and they couldn't find the person, um, who stole the bike. But, uh, the police officer helped unlock the bike from, um, from where it was and, and give it back to the guy. That is great. And, I was like, that's just cool. Like there wasn't some big, long process. And, and he had proven that he had filed a report in the past. She's like, all right, I'm going to get your bike for you, you know? Cool. And to me, that's like the little stuff like that gives you hope that, you know, there are really good police officers are out there. There are some ones that, you know, just don't get it right or they don't have good training or they don't have the right safety equipment or whatever. Um, and unfortunately, the light gets shown on that stuff. But there are a lot of really great ones out there, too. Right? It's just like anything else, except for these folks have guns and they have power and they put their life on the line every single day. It's a very complex set of um, responsibilities and training and tools in a society that is also very complex. And, in, and for us, it's a city that's very diverse. And that's one of the best things about Philadelphia. Is how diverse it is, but it makes it hard. It makes it harder to do things like have common agreements about how we are going to take care of ourselves and each other, and what's the right thing to do in any situation, and how to build trust. I, I right. There's there's good cops and bad cops. There's good pilots and bad pilots. But policing is yep. so much more complex. The work, the people, the tools, the responsibility, and the resources. Uh, I, I don't know what the solution is, but I, I think we definitely need to yeah. take a look because there are some things that are not working right now. 
for sure mm-hmm. for sure we have to face it for what it is and and it's uh there's a lot of good ones and there's there's uh too many issues out there at the same time i mean we saw it this summer yeah. and uh you know philadelphia certainly responded with um with the demonstrations about it mm-hmm. too and you know that sparked a whole nother debate which obviously um has a lot of nuance to it as well and like everything else in this world i mean this is what we're talking about that whole life is in the gray i mean there's yeah. there's not a whole lot of black and white in our in our day-to-day whether it's in life or business or whatever i mean there's there's more nuance to people than the media or whoever would want to make it out to be because it's not you know it doesn't grab headlines if you say two people had a complex conversation and, <laughs> and, and, and maybe some sort of middle ground was reached. That doesn't really get reported on CNN or Fox or wherever. No, but yeah. it's where we started the conversation about what is democracy and you have to participate, but you don't have to agree. And it, everything is a negotiation within society and a good negotiation or a, a productive exchange probably leaves both people a little happy and a little unhappy. But when we start to operate on on the margins and say everything has to be this way and you pull so far in one direction, whichever one it is, the balance is thrown off. And then a lot of other things start to break down. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. And and I actually think that's a that's a great way to leave it today. We had a productive conversation. We didn't even need to negotiate anything. We just had a good, really good chat. We just have to negotiate so. those tapes from your Villanova yeah. uh, radio show. <laughs> but I got this. I'll, I'll reach out to the host. And uh, I was I was a co-host. I was the comic relief. And I threw some guitar in there at times, too. And, you know, uh, but but the host, I know, still has the master tapes. Probably uh, copyrighted. Well, I might have to pay a little bit to get them. I, I don't know. We'll see how that shakes All out. Right, you'll let me know. all right lauren thank you so much for your time have a great safe healthy weekend and uh thanks everyone out there for listening all right thanks tony thanks everyone take care bye-bye